Everyday moments are small, simple, and ordinary. We can often grow frustrated with them, yet these are the moments that create our lives. Following Jesus is the same. What if following Jesus was more about the ordinary moments rather than the extraordinary? What if being with Jesus was more important than doing for Jesus? What if my spiritual life was dependent on everyday, ordinary rhythms of being with Jesus? An everyday disciple being with Jesus to be Jesus to others. Okay, by a show of hands, who has heard this quote before? A family that eats together stays together. How many have heard that before, right? Whether some of you have that hung up in your dining room, or you've heard your mom say that, right? You maybe have heard it in one version or another. And the sentiment behind that is this, that a rhythm of being around the table together, a rhythm of eating together, of joining into family matters together, right, ultimately produces relationship together. At least that did for me and my family. One of the rhythms that I, I love by 30, depending on dad got home, in our house growing up was eating dinner together. Around 5 or 5.30, depending on dad got home, we would all gather around the dining room table and we would eat a meal together. And what would happen is we'd all take our place around the dining room table and we would sit there and we'd pray and then the meal would be in front of us. And the reality is this, as a growing young man, the first thing that I really loved about the table is there was always food there, right? If you can empathize with that, there's always food at the table. And so that's what got me there. But what happened at the table was more important. And what I realized as I grew up is the table became an intentional place for my parents to invest in us very specifically. Because at the table, and we'll get into this a little bit later, we would share stories about our day. We would remember stories of past or people inside of our family. We would be silly around the table. We'd be reminded of who we are around the table. We'd be able to comfort each other around the table and ultimately enjoy just having a good time around the table. It became my favorite part of the day. I would look forward to it every single day. It became such a part of our lives. And around that table, as I sat there, five, six, seven, eight, and growing up, not really seeing this play out, but eventually doing it, what would happen is it would invest into me my identity, my belonging, my community. It would invest into me in different ways that I would never imagine except for looking back and seeing what played out. The table was a rhythm that ultimately made me who I Am. And here's the reality. Rhythms are a part of your life. We are people of rhythms. Rhythms dictate our life, whether they do intentionally or unintentionally. Whether they're a rhythm like getting around the dinner table at 5 or 5.30 or 6 every night, or waking up and the first thing you do is scroll on Facebook. You are built around rhythms. And rhythms dictate your life. Rhythms form you. Rhythms give to who you are becoming. That's why we want to talk about it inside of today and inside the series. Jesus in Matthew 11 says this, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. 
Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What was Jesus inviting us into? Jesus is inviting us into intentional rhythms that are with him, walking next to him, being with him, being guided by him and learning from him, ultimately for what? To learn his grace and love all the more. I love what he says here, unforced rhythms of grace. Sometimes we're like, rhythms are forced upon me, right? Work rhythms, life rhythms. And Jesus invites us to freely enjoy being with him intentionally as we walk through this life. Today, we're going to see what it means for an everyday disciple learning, that's a key word, learning, continuously learning what it means to live in the unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus invites us into. We're in a series called Everyday Disciple. We're literally, we're just taking seven weeks looking at this simple idea or seemingly simple idea of being with Jesus in the everyday. Our goal, our aim, my passion behind this conversation is simply all of wax. Say it and yet living it is a whole different ball of wax. I use this illustration in the first um, service. I'm not sure if it makes sense or not. But sometimes when we talk about being with Jesus, rhythms, we talk about following Jesus, it can feel like that slime that once it hits your hands, it becomes like liquidy, right? And it falls through and you're trying to catch it. And then it hits the ground. You're like, why did I give my kids slime? Why does this exist, right? That's what being with Jesus, I think, sometimes feels like. It's like, I, can, I know all the things, or I can, I can feel it, or I can see it, or Joel tells me it. But when I try to actually grab a hold of it, it just kind of falls through my hands. I'm not sure what to do with it. It's like I'm trying to catch it, but it keeps falling through. And my desire is this, is not to give you some backpack of knowledge that weighs you down and that you're trying to run with and trying to do good with but rather to invite you into what it really means to be with Jesus for the sake of living a life of grace, love, joy, and obedience to Jesus and actually living into what it means to follow Jesus here and now in the everyday moments because I have a deep empathy for everyone in this room and just our world right now. There's a lot of things that get thrown at us there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things that pull us. What does it mean to set aside time to be with the one who has saved us? During the series, we'd encourage you to check out a couple of things. First is grab a series guide. Our desire is that you would know the gospel by growing in your new identity and new story. And these series guides do that. Is a great way to stay connected to the conversation Monday through Friday that we're having on Sunday. So check out that. And then secondly is this. We would invite you to jump into or go to community. We believe that living it takes place while we group in new community. Some of us, we just need to jump in and experience spiritual friendships with those who are also following Jesus, being encouraged, being equipped to do so. If you're interested in jumping in in either of those ways, they're on the back wall, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Last week, we said this, an everyday disciple makes their home in his love. In whose love? Jesus' love. We looked at John 15, 9. 
because I have loved you as the Father has loved me. Now make your home in my love or abide in my love or remain in my love. And we looked and we said this, that the gospel, the gospel at the core, the good news of Jesus at the core is his invitation home to those who are lost. And last week was a pivotal week because before we get into today, in the next five weeks, where I'm going to tell you or in, in, encourage you or instruct or give weight to rhythms, things that we do to be present to Jesus, to be with Jesus, we have to have the foundation of what it means to be in his love, to make our home in his love. Because his love, his grace and truth, his love is the foundational thing to all of this. Because if we are not abiding, making our home in his love, all that I'm giving you is 10 ways to do better intentionally with your day. Or 10 ways to make your calendar fit your schedule, right? Or 10 things to do to have a better life. Without Jesus and his love and his grace and his truth at the center, it just becomes activity I do instead of a presence in a transformation that I experience by being with him. So take a look at last week, listen to the podcast. It would set up this conversation for today and the rest of our time the next several weeks. Here's the thing about this to your home, or I hope a very quick and easy illustration that I hope you walk into your home, or I hope you walk into kind of life situations you look at, you connect to, and it helps you. Today we're going to use the illustration of a dining room table, because you'll see that when you go home and have lunch, Every night, whatever it might be, kitchen table, whatever it might be for you. Because today, this is what we're going to talk about. An everyday disciple, an everyday disciple has intentional rhythms. An everyday disciple has intentional rhythms. Intentional rhythms that ultimately place me in being in the presence of Jesus. John 15, 9, this is where we started last week. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love or abide in my love, or make your home in my love. Be with me inside of my love. Why did we start there? Because like I said, the gospel tells me that there's an invitation home to those who are lost. There's an invitation home to those who are weary. There's an invitation home to those who are far off. The reality is we need to start there. Because if you don't understand Jesus as your Savior, then being with him every day and setting up your life to do so doesn't make sense at all. Ultimately, Jesus wants us to start by seeing the love that he has poured out for us. How? Through his perfect life, his death that he died for you and I, taking our place on the cross, and the resurrection of his life so that you and I could experience life. Because listen, this morning, for some of us, this is where it starts. For some of us, we're trying to be our own God or our own Savior. And we are running further and further away trying to figure out ourselves. I don't need God. I'm not sure who God is. I'm not sure I want God. So I'm going to try to figure it out myself. And I'm going to try to achieve something I can only receive. And this morning you're here and Jesus has been running after you this whole time. And he loves you enough to run after you and present you. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to try to figure it out on your own. I have done it for you and I'm not going to guilt you into this. I'm going to freely hand you a gracious gift. Would you accept it? And for some of us, turning and looking at Jesus and starting to walk towards him is the step this morning. It's not... 
the rhythms or read your Bible or this or that. It is just standing face to face with Jesus. But listen, for others of us, we have been a part of church for a really long time. And we know all the things. We know, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about the next five weeks. You do it. You're in activity with it. You got it down pat. But you've never received Jesus' love and grace fully. You've been working harder to try to find approval with God. And you're trying to achieve something only you can receive freely through Jesus. And for you this morning, before I get off and running on rhythms and how to kind of set our life and think about our life and to intentionally invest inside of our life to be with Jesus, you first have to ask the question, am I truly seeing Jesus as my Savior? Is he truly my Savior or am I trying to be my own Savior? Because until you come face to face with that question, the things I'm going to talk about the next five weeks are just kind of moralistically good things to do because that's just what you do. But they will become transformative, joyful, life-changing things when you abide in and start to recognize the reality of Jesus' love and what he's done for you through his life, death, and resurrection. So before we go any further, have you said yes to his love and his invitation home? No, well, if you, no strings attached, no guilt trip. No, well, if you do this for me, then I'll give you eternal life. It's a gift. When you receive the gift, what's powerful is this. He grabs your hand and he walks you home. And as he enters into this eternal home, as he enters you in, he says, remain in my love. Not do more for me, not prove that you're supposed to be here, not now here's your list of chores to do, now get to work. He says simply, remain in my love. That's what I'm asking you to do as you make your home here. Because last week we looked at what does it mean to make our home in his love. Today I simply want to look at how we remain in or make our home in his love. What does that mean tangibly? How do I see that? Where does my life align with that? How am I being with Jesus, not just for the sake of doing better, but for the sake of becoming more like him, for our hearts to become more like him, and for ultimately our lives to be put in front of him and see him transform them. I'm going to use the simple word rhythm. That's the word that we're going to use here in this series, rhythms. And I'm using that word very specifically because I think this conversation in the next five weeks, the conversation is all about how we rhythm our life around being with Jesus. Because here's the difference. Rhythm means this. You can write this down. Rhythm is all about presence and posture. Rhythms are not as much about getting something done as it is to be present and to posture my life in such a way in front of others. I have a rhythm of being with my family. I have a rhythm of being with people. I have a rhythm that only places me in front of certain things to form who I am and to form those around me. Goals, on the other hand, which are not bad. We have goals here. Talk to my team about goals. I'm not against goals. But goals are more about what I can achieve. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. It's about rhythms, because here's the thing about rhythms that you need to know. The thing about rhythms is they, they in Jesus' eyes, are grace-filled, not guilt-filled. 
I think it's really important when we talk about this. Because maybe you sit there and you're like, I know reading my Bible is good. I know prayer. I know community. I know these all things. But it feels like slime slipping through your hands. And at some point, you're, you throw the slime away and you're just so guilted because you didn't make it to the thing or you didn't do this thing or you didn't do that thing. And that is not the point with being with Jesus. Being with Jesus is not checking something off your list. It is being present. And when that's not going well, it is continuing to pursue being present with him. Because he desires for you to do what? Make your home in his love. Whether that is going perfectly great as you planned or it's going disastrous. Rhythms are about presence and posture. He wants you. Tish Harrison Warner, she writes the book Liturgy of the Ordinary where I've, a lot of this uh, series has been inspired. She says this, everyone wants a revolution, <coughs> but no one wants to do the dishes. There's an amen there, right? The kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. I often want to skip the boring daily stuff to get to the thrill of an edgy faith. But it's in the dailiness of Christian faith, the making the bed, the doing the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading the Bible, the quiet, the small, that God's transformation takes root and grows. What if, what if our life is what we ran into the next seven weeks or so? What if our life became less about what's the next big thing or how can I achieve this thing or what does God want me to do, the next big thing that I'm waiting and longing for? What if he wants your everyday things and everyday moments? What if in the small, ordinary, mundane, boring, seemingly simple moments is where God's going to transform you the most for the big things that are to come? Or what if those are the big things to God? I think we live as human beings with a human nature that desires for the big, for the next, for this, for that. What if these rhythms were seemingly small and yet powerful in their transformation? Today, I want to use a simple illustration, the dining room table. That's where we're going to sit today, both literally and figuratively, around this conversation. Because as I talk about rhythms, before we get into specific, like reading the Bible next week, prayer, community, I want to talk about why rhythms, why rhythms? I think they're very biblical, and I think they're human nature, whether intentional or unintentional. My hope is this, is that you would lean into thinking about how can I be more intentional with my rhythms, not so that I can have the best life now, but so I can be with Jesus in the everyday now. And when those go well, praise the Lord. When those don't go well, you praise the Lord still because life is messy. Here's the first thing about rhythms. Intentional rhythms involve remembering. Intentional rhythms involve remembering. Here's the reality. When I would sit around the table, okay, we'd sit around the table, and this probably took place most, uh, most times when I was in high school, because my grandma lives with my parents. So she was in her 80s. I was in high school. My sister was middle school. My brother was in elementary and we would sit around the table and we would just go around talking. And eventually what would take place is after a while, stories started to be shared. 
So we'd ask my dad and my mom what growing up was like. We'd ask them, what was life like? What'd you do here? Oh, you were ornery. This is what it looks like. This is what that looks like. This is where we came from. Then we would look at my grandma and say, what was it like to live in the Great Depression era, the World War II era, to get married in the 50s, to have kids in the 60s? What was it like to go through all of those eras? What were you like as you grew up? And all of a sudden, what happened around the table wasn't just simply we're eating a meal, but we're remembering some things. What got instilled in me is I started to realize whose I was. Well, Gregory there was important implications to that, that I learned around the table and stories that were shared. I started to realize who I am inside of that, that, that I have a place inside of this family, that there have been people that have gone before me that instilled things early on so that I would benefit later. And it really founded me and placed me in what I need to do inside of life, gave me purpose and meaning. Even more so now that happens. The older you get or the older your family get, the more you talk about memories. The more you talk about the days that were. Right now when my siblings come into town and we're all sitting around the dinner table with my grandma who's over 90 at this point and we're sitting there and none of us live in the same state anymore. We don't live in the same house anymore. We frequently talk about what's going on in our life and then we quickly move to all the memories we have. That's what we do now. We remember because there's George us to keep going. Identity found in that. There's belonging found in that. And it also encourages us to keep going. What's fascinating is that word remember is used over 350 times in the Bible. Either remember or a variation of it. What I love about God is that is his heart. We're going to see that God doesn't just encourage us to remember, but he remembers us. And inside of that, rhythms of being with Jesus put us in front of certain things to remember about him and what he's done for us. What I love about God is throughout scripture, we see that God reminds or uses the word remember 350 times in scripture. It is very conversational. He wants to have a frequent conversation with the people of Israel, with his people, about what it means to remember who he is and what he's done. But he also sets up celebrations Right? Why do we do certain things inside of our country? Why do we celebrate July 4th and Christmas and Thanksgiving? It's around remembering things. Sometimes we often forget that, right? Let's go to the next barbecue. But it's ultimately built in so we remember people who sacrificed their life or people who went before us or what took place hundreds of years ago so that we would continue to carry on that. And that's exactly why God built in celebrations throughout the years in the nation of Israel so they remember certain things and they would live out of that. Why, though? Because here's the reality. Spiritually, you and I are like Dory. You know Dory from Finding Nemo? Dory can't remember a thing. Right? You go like five seconds and she's like, who are you? And what are you doing here? And why are we doing what? We function like Dory spiritually so often. Right? And we laugh about it because Dory's funny, but we also know it's true. Right? I will wake up and if things aren't going well or life's not going the way I want to, I'm like, gosh, where's God? Why, why doesn't he have this figured out? What, does he leave me all of a sudden? Does he love me? I always am questioning the next thing because I'm not sure. 
We forget so quickly who he is, what he's done for us, and where we've come from. Real quickly, what's he want us to remember? Well, well you got to know this. God wants to grace us through remembering. If we were always like Dory, that would be a pretty depressing life spiritually. Where is he and what is it? God has put certain rhythms in place for us to remember to grace us with that, not guilt us into why didn't you do this or that. So what's he want us to remember first and foremost? First is this. He wants us to remember who he is. Who he is as God of the universe, as the father, as the shepherd of our life. Exodus 34. This, this passage, Exodus 34, 6 through 7, is ultra famous. It is Moses talking to God, asking God to show him his glory. God says, I will show that to you. But God knows that if Moses were to see him face to face, Moses would be destroyed because God is so holy. And so he covers Moses' face and then he verbally speaks who he is. This is what God says. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That passage right there is the most quoted passage of the Bible in the Bible. More biblical authors quote that passage than any other passage in the Bible. Why? Because God wants us to remember who he is. And so quickly, when life is falling apart, a lot of times you see this when the prophets are talking to Israel and life is falling apart. They're in exile, there's ruins, there's all this stuff. And the prophets just kind of sneak that in there. They're like, yeah, remember God's loving and faithful. Continues to remind us who he is in the worst and the best of moments because we so easily forget so easily forget, we revel in the things that used to be, we revel in the things that aren't going well, the circumstances, and he pops our head up and says, look at who I am. And an intentional rhythm of being with Jesus allows us to see him consistently for who he is. Secondly, what he has done. What he has done for us, what he has done to us, how he's invited us in. Exodus 13, 3. Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt the, the Israelites have been in Egypt for hundreds of years, enslaved to the Egyptians. They are oppressed. And in Exodus 13, 3, we see Moses encouraging them to remember this moment. Exodus 13, 3, this is what Moses says to the people, the Israelites. This is a day to remember forever. The day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery. Today the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hands. Moses is imploring them to remember. Because why? Because it's so easy to forget what God has done for us. And he's imploring them, remember this moment. Mark this moment. Make sure you see this moment. Make sure you make this an important memory inside your mind because you're going to go. And it's going to be so easy to forget because the next circumstance, the next moment is going to come by you. He says, remember, God has saved you. He's brought you out of slavery into freedom. This is why we in Discovery talk about your story. We talk about your story being so important. Your story is not just there to have some memento on the wall. Your story of what it was like before Jesus, 
What Jesus did for you after Jesus is important because it reminds you of what he's done for you, taking you from slavery to freedom. Lastly is this. He reminds us where we have been and ultimately where he has saved us from. What I love about the first five books of the Old Testament is it is Israel's story, the beginning story, hundreds, thousands of years of their story playing out. Most of it, though, is this. You get through Israelites leaving Egypt. Most of the remainder of the five books after Exodus you know, 12, 13, 14 is Moses, the Lord Joshua, imploring them to remember who God is, what he's done for them, and where they were and where they came out of. And then sharing with them to pass that on to their kids. That ultimately, as I remember where I've been and remember who God is and remember what he's done for me, it encourages me to remind myself to share that with my kids as a part of them remembering those things. Deuteronomy 6 and 8, God implores the nation of Israel to continue to remember and then to teach that to their kids. Your story is not just some trophy that you put up on the mantle. It is a living active piece of remembering who God is, what he's done for you, where you've been, and you have a chance to share that with your kids as a way to form them in who God is. Yes, reading the Bible with them is great. Praying with them is great. But what is more powerful is your actual fleshly story of how God has interacted with your life. What I love about this is God doesn't just implore us to remember, but he is a God who remembers that the God of Israel, the God of the universe, doesn't just tell us, remember me, but ultimately encourages us out of him remembering us. Exodus 2, before all of this took place, the Israelites were groaning in their slavery, crying out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. What I love about this is God is a God who remembers. It is within God's rhythm to remember us. And he uses the word covenant there. A covenant is basically this, a relationship between two parties or partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. God saying to the Israelites, you're chosen, you're loved, you are my people, and the binding promise of the Israelites is we are going to follow and obey you. And the covenant is something that can't be broken. It is a binding covenant. It is a covenant that they've put in, inside of this relationship to ultimately keep it together. And God in this moment, as the Israelites are crying out, says, I remember you in my covenant with you. Listen, do you know the picture that comes to mind for us when we think about covenant. It's Jesus. Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection is the image that God remembers as he lavishes us in grace and love and guides us in truth. That Jesus is the new covenant. What he's done through his life, death, and resurrection is the reminder to God that we are his people and that he is going to continue to pursue us even when we don't fulfill our end of the bargain. How beautiful is that? Your God 
doesn't just implore you to remember him, but he remembers you ultimately through who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and how that has absolutely changed our life. So by allowing intentional rhythms to remind me of who he is and what he's done for me. Secondly, intentional rhythms involve revealing. Involve revealing. When we would sit around the table, what would happen is this. My dad would start, we'd all get there, we'd pray, and then he, we'd start serving food, and he would look around and say, okay, everybody, one by one, you got to share your day. What was the high point? What was the low point? What was the buffalo? Which buffalo in our family is the weird, funny, unique part of the day, okay? So we'd have a high, low, buffalo, right? We'd go around and share that. And very quickly, my parents would get wind of how we're doing, not just externally, but internally. It's really easy to put on a face, but as you start to have questions and conversation, you start to see something internally revealed inside of those around the table. Because sometimes it would get to me, my dad would say, how was your day, Joel? I'd be like, it's okay. How'd it go today? I was fine. Anything exciting? Nope. And now all of a sudden, I would cut off. There'd be other days where I'm real excited, and I'd share a lot, and I'd be real excited about what was going on. Then there were other days that was just downright mean. I want to have it with anybody, right? So I would just start picking and poking at my brother and sister and making fun of them and doing this and that, right? And all of a sudden, everything would go wild. Around that table, what was happening was the revealing of what was going on inside of me was taking place. Here's what's fascinating. You know what happened after we left the table, whether it was good, bad, or ugly around the table? What would transpire is this. If my dad or my mom caught wind of, I'm not doing okay, they might need to address things at the table. They might need to correct me at the table. They didn't kick me out of the table. But after I left the table, I'd go to my room and one of them would follow me and check in on me. Why, to dish out more punishment? Nope. To make sure that what was going on internally was okay. Or if we needed to talk about something. Yes, yeah, sometimes discipline was handed out. More times than not, it was love and care that pursued me inside of that. It's exactly what God desires inside of intentional rhythms with him that our hearts would be revealed in such a way that ultimately we'd learn about ourselves and we would learn what is unhealthy to allow him to make healthy. I was struck by a passage in Psalm 32. And here's why I was struck by it, because it talks about the internal life. I think we struggle to be introspective for two reasons. One is we're so busy. We're just busy. So you wake up, you get the kids around, get the kids to school, you do your things, you get them home or do whatever, right? You get dinner on the table, you get them to bed, and then you're just exhausted. And you're just happy you didn't punch anybody during the day. And you're like, as long as I'm not punching people, then I must be doing eh, okay inside. But you know that nothing good is happening in there, right? I'm not allowing myself to be transformed in there. I'm just too busy. For others of us, it's just too hard. And it's not a lack of knowledge or wisdom on your part. It's just too hard to deal with the emotional, painful, traumatic things of life. And you like to put it in boxes. If I'm in this setting, maybe I can talk about it. But in these settings, I got to close it up, push it to the side so that I can just interact with life and move on. And the reality is we struggle to be introspective. And yet I would argue to a point, 
right? This is probably not an ultimatum uh, statement, but to a point that we, we will either thrive or die on if we're introspective or not. That, that, that there is something to be said about my inner life dictating my outer life, and if I don't give weight to my inner life, then I'm not giving enough weight to my outer life. I'm just putting on a face so that I can get through. And until my heart has been revealed to me, and all of a sudden I sit in the grace and love of Jesus to transform me, I am just going through the motions of living life so that no one catches on. And this is what David writes in Psalm 32. It says this as he's interacting in the inner side of his relationship with God. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Here's the reality. When I would sit in the chair, I felt very much like David. When there was shame or guilt or sin or things that were unhealthy in my life, and my dad would ask me, how are you doing? What starts happening? You start sweating. Starts to feel like summer in the dining room all of a sudden, right? You start to feel this heaviness, this weightiness. Why? Is my dad pounding down on me? Nope. Because you know something is severing the relationship. I'm making decisions that aren't giving to me, being with my family, my parents, and giving to that relationship. And I think David's exactly explaining the same thing. When you're in intentional rhythms with God and you sit at the table and he's asking you how you're doing, at some point or another, what ends up being revealed are the things that are unhealthy, the things that get your bones tense, the things that feel like sweat is pouring down and you can't keep inside of yourself. And why is he doing that? To guilt you? No. What we see David allude to next is a gracious response. Psalm 32, 7 through 8, you are my hiding place, he says. You'll protect me from my trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. And then God is saying this to David through David's words, I will instruct you, teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Listen, when you and I are wrestling with something, feeling the weight of something, what is our first response? We saw it in the garden. It is to hide, right? What did I want to do more than anything, right? I want to sit here and be like, it's okay. Nothing, nope, I'm fine. It's whatever. And what's the first thing I did? I went to my bedroom because that's where I could hide. And what often takes place is when we have intentional rhythms with God and he starts revealing things to us, it is really easy to run the other direction, because those are hard, those are personal, those are painful things. Do you know what David says here? He says to the God of the universe, you are my hiding place. Listen, eyes up here. This is why Jesus says, make your home in my love. Because the more that you make your home in his love, the more that you grow in trust, the more you'll return to his love, even when things are revealed about your heart's because you know it's out of love, not out of fear. You know it's out of love, not out of guilt. You know it's out of love, not out of I'm going to get you or else. That all of a sudden, the God of the universe inside of these rhythms becomes your hiding place where you can be real and raw and you can be intentional to share with him what only he knows. And the reality is this, as that takes place, he becomes your hiding place and you believe the thing that David writes about, I'll counsel you with my loving eye on you. Why, why did my parents ask those questions? I think they really cared about our day, I do. I don't think it was all 
intentionally to get into our heart. I think they cared about our day. But it was their way of having a loving eye on our hearts and to counsel, correct, and have compassion towards us as we walked through life. The God of the universe, being with Jesus, wants the same. It's really easy sometimes to stay over here and remembering. Remember what he's done for me. Remember what's going on. And I think it's cyclical. I think it's a journey. As I enter into the revealing stage of my spiritual journey at times and the rhythms, that part can be really scary and hairy. My encouragement is this. Trust the same love that was shared with you during the remembering because that same love goes with you into the revealing. And what he wants more than anything is for you to trust his love more and more. So are you allowing him to reveal what is in your heart to you? Then lastly is this. Intentional rhythms involve resting. Real quick, the, what happened was as I entered middle school into high school, my favorite part of the day became dinner time. Yes, I was a growing boy, so the food was partially my, I was the favorite part of the day was dinner, but it was a safe place for me. If you're in middle school and high school and you're in this room, it's hard. Middle school and high school are brutal years for some of us, maybe for all of us. It's a really hard time. I empathize with you. I had moments where I went to school, didn't know who I was, tried to put time, tried to make sure that everybody thought I was cool enough, I fit in enough. And the time that I felt the most secure, the time that I felt most uh, affirmed in my identity was around the table. My parents knew me the best, or my siblings knew me the best, where they wouldn't kick me to the side if I didn't fit some form of what they wanted me to be. And so I found rest there. I would go home so excited because my favorite meal was there, but also I was around my favorite group of people, and it solidified who I was and how to live that out. And I think intentional rhythms involve resting, joyfully returning to the table, a rhythm that joyfully allows me to enjoy grace and joy. John 15, 10 through 11, Jesus talks to this. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Listen, this is really important to note that ultimately Jesus wants us to joy in him, enjoy in resting and abiding in him. And out of that, we learn to obey him and joy in the obeying of him, which returns me to the love he has for me as I abide in him that way. That ultimately, as I find intentional rhythm, it leads to resting because I understand my identity, my community, my mission, my life in a whole different way. And he wants me to say yes to him inside of that. Matthew 11, we'll return to this, 28 through 30. This is what Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus knows he knows you are weary and burdened. He knows you're tired. He knows you're exhausted. He knows you're frustrated. He knows you're mad. He knows that what life is putting on you is unfair. So let's just get it all out there, right? Let's just get it all out there. Jesus knows that because he lived that. All of us are going through hard stuff. We need to empathize with each other. But he invites you into something greater. He says, if you are in that spot and you know that, come to me and find rest 
in what? Unforced rhythms of grace. That in the messiness of life, he is not looking to guilt you into doing things or to guilt you because you didn't do things, but he's inviting you to joy in the grace and love he has for you. And out of that, be convinced to obey and trust him with your life. And as you find joy in that, you returned to joying in being in his love and grace more and more and spending time with him. It becomes cyclical. The intentional rhythms lead to me resting in who I am. So what does that mean for us? How do we take that into every day? Two things, two things that I want to just challenge us with. First is this intentional rhythms require training, okay? We are more inclined to do than to be, right? We're more inclined to do than to be. We're more inclined to do for Jesus than to be with him. And if my doing outpaces my being, then all of a sudden I am just doing for myself and trying to fulfill something that only Jesus can do for me and through me. That's why Jesus in John 15 says 10 different times, remain in me, abide in me, make your home in my love. He's trying to get across a point that there is something to be said about being with him that gives to our doing for him. That's why we sit around the table. He keeps inviting me to be with him, to bask upon who he is and his love and his grace and what he's done for me because that motivates how I love others and it reveals what's going on in my heart. Dallas Willard says this, he says, this is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God or being with Jesus is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing or our training, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new, grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. That ultimately it is training and practicing this ability to be with Jesus inside of rhythms throughout my day. Because as I do that, the compass of my life starts to direct me towards north, which is him. I heard it put this way, because I struggle with this. I don't know how many of you get distracted in prayer, right? I'll start praying and I'll be like, Lord, I love you. Father, you are so good. And man, I have to get that work done today. And what do I have to do with Corbin and Ava? And oh, oh, sorry, Lord. Okay, we're back. And we pray for that, right? That's my prayer life continuously. And it frustrated me for the longest time. The reality is this. Someone once said, I forget where, who, where I got this from. We'll just put my name to it, right? Because it will sound great. But a hundred, a thousand, if I get distracted a thousand times with Jesus, it is a thousand opportunities to go back to him. Listen, what if we just started by training and practicing our minds to return to him? Not to be perfect in it, not to do great, but to just return to him. That being our training and our practicing. What if that was the rhythm that we set forth ultimately that the longing of our souls would end up being him as we're invited to the table of his presence? It is a grace-filled thing. You will need time to put these into play. 66 days to form a habit, right? Maybe more to unform a habit, right? 
It takes time. Secondly, intentional rhythms bring transformation. I'm going to skip that passage again, Andrew, but John 15, 10 through 12 talks about this. That transformation is not of willpower or strength of myself, but it's the presence of God. It is putting myself in the presence of God, his grace and truth intersecting in love that ultimately transforms my heart. And here's the reality. As I sit inside of his presence, as I remain in the love of God, I begin to obey God out of love. Not out of guilt to do things and get things done, but out of Obey out of love, I obey him, and it becomes cyclical. As I obey him out of love, and I truly obey him, I want to return to his love because it was so gratifying. And I obeyed him not to get approval, but to ultimately lean into that. And all of a sudden, as I obey and return to his love, and his love encourages and fills me up to obey, it becomes cyclical. But here's the reality. Even when I don't obey, he invites me to return. And his love and his grace will be there just as much. That's where transformation also happens, is when I actually trust that his love is there when I don't mess up. Some of us, we don't believe that. And yet, the goal is that I would obey out of love. Obedience and love are inseparable. I trust those that love me, so I'll listen and follow Here's the reality. As I sat around the table, I get invited now. I, I don't sit around my parents' table anymore uh, uninvited or daily. I get invited over. I bring my crazy kiddos over, and we just have a, a ball, right? It's a blast. Here's the reality. I sit around my parents' table now, and I'm a very different person than I was 27, 26 years ago when I was three or four. And the reality is this. They formed a rhythm that ultimately drew me into love, their love and grace for me, which built trust in me to obey them when they shared with me what that life was all about. And as that happened, it transformed me to the person I am today. And so now I return to their table freely, embracing their love that they have for me. And yet I live not for some approval but I live out of that because over time, transfer, transformation helps us grow up. But I'm a very different person at 30 than I was at three. Praise the Lord for that. If I was still three around the table, it'd be a nightmare, right? And that is why God continues to invite us. Because for some of us, we feel like we're like a year or two old and we're like, I'm not sure how to do this. I was throwing food around the table. Does Jesus really want to be with me? I done messed up again. And he does. Because he is not concerned about you transforming overnight. He cares about the journey that you are on. And that in 30 years, you will look more and more like him. And that you will become more and more like him. So as the band comes up, two things. Two things I just want to very applicable challenge you to. Write these down. I got a challenge, and then I got a stretch challenge. Challenge is for everybody. Stretch challenge is for those who are crazy. Y'all are crazy, okay? Challenge is this, intentional and unintentional. I want you to spend 30 minutes this week, 30 minutes dissecting, finding, and examining your daily rhythms, Okay? Look at your calendar, look at your week, write them out. What do you do? 
For some of us, we're real detailed. We want to start at 6 o'clock. I wake up at 6, from 6 to 6.15, I look at Facebook, and then I go down and get my coffee. Like, if you want to do that, you do that. If you just want to look at big chunks, that's fine. Leadership podcast that I listened to had something called a focus funnel. This is how I want you to think about your rhythms, intentional, unintentional. As you look at your rhythms, what rhythms do you need to eliminate? Dun, dun, dun. Some of us, if not all of us, including myself, have rhythms that are not healthy or that aren't allowing you to be with Jesus. What do I eliminate, right? Four hours on Netflix, let's maybe cut it down to two, right? You can eliminate two and we can move on from there, right? Second one is delegate. Are there rhythms that you don't need to be doing? You can have your kids help you with, your spouse help you with, that you can just not do. You can have someone else do potentially. And then what rhythms do you need to concentrate on? And my encouragement is start on concentrating on rhythms that allow you to be with Jesus. The stretch challenge is this, okay? This is also for everybody, but it is a stretch challenge. We, on January 28th, are going to start a 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. And we would invite you to be a part of it. Why, you might ask? First is to build your craving for God. And second, to build your compassion for others. We're going to have these little cards that kind of lay out one person you're praying for in the 21 days and one thing you're fasting from. In the next two weeks, I'll explain the idea of fasting and what it means to fast from things and what that looks like. It doesn't just have to be food, right, if that's not an option for you. But we want to invite you into this to place ourselves in front of Jesus, in front of God for transformation. And we're inviting you to consider that. We're telling you two weeks ahead of time so you're not caught off guard and you can pray. But you can pray and journey with us for 21 days to ultimately crave more of God, long for Him more, and have a compassion towards others. What if it was the small, seemingly mundane rhythms that actually transformed our spiritual life, not just the big, edgy ones? So, Father, we thank you for who you are and all that you do. Thank you for your grace. You give us a nature of rhythms, not so that we feel guilty or not that we feel like burdened by them that we can't do them but Father so that we can be with you that we can tangibly actually experience you on this earth thank you thank you for giving us Jesus showing us where his rhythms were inside of life and Father I just ask that you would grace us right now wherever we may be you would encourage us challenge us reveal to us our heart and invite us in Father, we're grateful for you. Pray this in your name.